Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. We come to you today. It's Tuesday, February 28th. We have two games left on the Pac-12 schedule still. However, UCLA is your Pac-12 champion for 2022, which is, or not 2022, sorry, 2023, which is wild because it's been a decade since we've won this conference. It's absolutely wild. How are you feeling? That was our our senior year at UCLA. 2013 was the last time we won this damn thing. (laughs) That, That was our senior year. I remember that. You know what? Um, I have a proposal for you because I thought it was just really appropriate what Nick and Jaime and such said after the game. Um, You know, there's a small celebration and then we're going to put this in in its place because obviously the team has much bigger goals to achieve and, you know, the Pac-12 championship hopefully is not where where this thing ends. So I'm going to propose we treat this similarly right now. We're going to take five minutes and we're going to celebrate right now for five minutes and then we will we, we will move on what do you say i'm okay with that because i think you're right this is a stepping stone to a larger goal and it should be celebrated it, we should ucla should be winning the pac-12 or whatever conference they're in pretty regularly as a blue blood team that being said when you've had a drought this long it, it is something that should be celebrated i think it is great to see the hard work of some of these players that have been here for so long, that have uh, struggled and you know fought through all sorts of adversity. And even the guys who went to a Final Four, right? Like They've never been able to win the conference. And so for them to accomplish this finally this season is, is a true accomplishment. Like I, I am genuinely happy for them. I'm genuinely happy for Mick Cronin. Mick Cronin has never won a conference title in 20 years of coaching. And and he's he's come painstakingly close at UCLA, right? So we remember the first season, which it's crazy to think. Mick's first season was when Tiger was a freshman, Jaime was a freshman, David Singleton, uh, I think he was a sophomore at that point, right? Um, so a lot of these guys are, are, are upperclassmen now were really young back then. And that year was obviously the year we started off real rough and then went on a big run down the stretch, and we came within a buzzer beater of having at least a share of the league title that year. Um, So we came painstakingly close that year. Obviously, after that, a thing called COVID-19 happened. Uh, The the following year, we finished fourth in the league, but then went to the Final Four. Last year, finished second uh, behind an Arizona team who ended up having the kind of season in in the conference that we're having this year right now. Um, and they ended up clinching it, actually, I think, in about a similar position as us. So, especially in a sport where so much of how successful a season feels is predicated on this one-and-out tournament, right, the NCAA tournament, we've played 29 games so far. We're, we have two games left in the regular season, so a 31-game season. That has to eventually mean something, and I'm happy that no matter where this turns out, uh, you know, these players and this team at least has the fact that they've won a championship to look back on. Um, you know, and, and again, it's not the most important championship and that's not the goal at UCLA, but it's good to have some kind of validation next to the season, no matter where this goes from here. And for that, I'm happy for, again, uh, for our seniors, 
for upperclassmen who haven't done this before and the underclassmen, um, you know, just, just the whole team because you put in a lot of work to get to this point. Uh, we've, we've played now 18 conference games, won 16 of them. That's a hard thing to do. It is a hard thing to do, and it's, again, it should be celebrated, but it shouldn't be a celebration to the degree where we're hanging banners and we're, everyone's losing their mind. I, I think what this team has demonstrated so far is they've, they've celebrated, it sounds like they have been, but they've shown a remarkable um, amount of restraint with this, actually, I would say. Even the like social media presence around this and all of the, um, what the, the players have said on social media and whatnot, I, it, there's an understanding here, I think, amongst the team, amongst the players, and even amongst the program overall in the athletic department, that this should be just the beginning, like for the, this postseason. We shouldn't be, this shouldn't hopefully be the only thing that we're left with. Whether that's a conference tournament championship, whether that's a Final Four, whether that's a national championship, we don't know. We, we can't predict that future right now, but there is a, a feeling around the program, it, it seems, that this is, again, just a building block to that larger goal. And I think that the, the team has celebrated this appropriately with the caveat that let's, let's do something bigger and better than this. Uh, going forward and I think that's the right approach here as UCLA yeah. should always approach this way that is how we should approach it again it, it's just been so long again we talked about it our senior year 2013 was the last time we won the league like this um, so it's, it has been a long time but again um, we go back to what we talked about in college basketball unfortunately you know regular season credits and accomplishments are not what gets you your bread in college basketball. Uh, last year, Arizona won the league with at around the same point. They went 18-2 and two in the league, in league play. And I don't think anyone gave a damn because they ended up losing the Sweet 16 and we lost, lost in the Sweet 16. Uh, there have been years when Arizona's won the league and we went further in the tournament. There has been years when we won the league, if we think about the last time we did win it, our senior year, and we got bounced in the first round. So, you know, ultimately, you know, it is that the national tournament that's coming up that's going to ultimately define the season and, and how we feel about this at, at the end of the day. But we talked about this at the beginning of the year, and we talked about this a lot all throughout the year. We wanted an elite regular season. We wanted an, an elite season where we were able to really control the Pac-12 and win it because, you know, this is our second to last year in the league, and we're not going to get any more chances at this. So for all that, great job. Great job, UCLA, UCLA basketball, players, coaches all around. And now we move on to bigger and better things. We, we've gone over our, our five minutes by a minute now. <laughs> I, will, I will say one more thing about this. The, it's, it's natural to draw comparisons to the last team that won the Pac-12 for us. And there's I will... no comparison to that team. And there, there's no comparison to that, <laughs> that league either. And this is exactly what I was going to say, is that we, there is a... a much different feeling around this team than there was around that one. And that team was chock full of talent. That was the Shabazz, the Kyle Anderson, uh, Jordan Adams, Tony Parker, freshman year, uh, all of those guys' team. Yet, even though we won the Pac-12, we had some great games. There was that notable game against uh, Arizona in the, the conference championship. 
or a conference tournament, uh, I should say, um, with the the buzzer beater three. All those great, great, some great moments thrown in there. Yet there was never a feeling that hey, this team could actually put put uh, a run together in the tournament. There was never that feeling, and in fact, yeah, we lost to Minnesota, if I remember correctly, with uh, uh, with Trevor Mbakwe. We lost um, to Minnesota by twenty. It was a brutal game. I remember watching that game with all of you guys at Barney's Beanery in Westwood as yep. students. Yep. Yeah. Um, no. Th- th- and, and the league that year was. It, it, it's not as if the Pac-12 is, is anything to write home about this year either, but. That year, I, I think this season you have two elite, elite teams, right? You got UCLA and you got Arizona, and then you got some other tournament teams in there as well. Um, that year, I think I'm looking at the standings from that year. We won the league. We were 24th at 13 and five. We won. Um, Oregon and Arizona were kind of tournament teams. Then Arizona was like a an up and down team that year. They ended up finishing in the back end of the of the rankings. Same with Oregon and Cal, I think, snuck into the tournament that year, too. So it was a very different league. Um, that was definitely the weakest Pac-12 that, that I can remember. Um, and we ended up just kind of squeaking by uh, and, and winning it that year. So there's no comparison to that team. I would say, you know, again, if, if you want to make comparisons and things like that, there are, there, are, there are conference champions that go on to make good runs, and there are conference champions who get bounced out early. You know, ultimately, it's a regular season achievement. And everything in college basketball is about building to that big tournament that's coming up in a couple weeks now. So that's that's where we move on. Well, let's let's look back at this last week. Like, how did we get here? We obviously, uh, I think, going into this week, we were both nervous. I think we talked about this last week that this mountain trip presents a lot of issues for a lot of teams. It's not an easy trip, you know, with travel, with altitude. Um, with with well-coached teams it's never easy to win on the road in the mountain schools nonetheless we swept both of these schools starting with utah in a weird game on thursday and this week was was indicative of or really demonstrative of two things it's like we showed elite offense and we also showed that elite defense that we've seen but but it was interesting to see that elite offense pop up that we could actually fill the bucket against a team. Uh, and we did that against Utah for largely most of the game. Like, our offense was clicking. And it was hot all night. Yeah, I, I, an overall thing right now is we're getting deep into the end of conference play. And at this point, there's so much tape. Most of these teams have played you now, you know, at least once. And for the upperclassmen, they've played them now, what, four or five times across several years now. So if you just look at any scores around the country, there's not a whole lot of, you know, impressive blowout wins anywhere because it's really just that that point in the season. Um, and if you have any half-decent coach team, it's you're probably not going to be able to just lace it up and run away with the game. And the mountain trip has definitely always been that kind of a trip in the Pac-12. It's, it's again, the travel. You talked about the travel, the elevation, all that stuff. And what usually are two pretty solid teams as well. And and Utah, you know, we, we talked about Utah first. They were, by most, you know, bracketologists, if you want to call them that, the first four out uh, before our game, right? Uh, they were, 
not in the field, and they were hoping to get their signature win. And the Utah game, I thought, was was very, very interesting um, because th this was the game where the ball went in for us, and usually when the ball goes in, you should expect a pretty hefty blowout win for us. And it looked like we could be heading there, right? I mean, we had a 12-point lead at half. We had a 16-point lead at portions of the second half. Um, but this was a game, I thought, where our our effort level on defense it just wasn't what it was uh, in all the other in some of the other games that we've seen and and I know in the end the percentages aren't great for Utah but it just felt like in terms of you know creating deflections um, rebounding I think is where it really stood out like a sore thumb um, defensive rebounding Utah ended up plus three on the glass and, and I'm, I'm, I was surprised it was actually just plus three it, it felt like a whole bunch more and though all that all those things kind of added up into what eventually put together their run. I mean, throughout the game, they missed a lot of shots. And then finally, there was like a five-minute stretch where they hit all their shots. Uh, and that, plus all the rebounds, got, got them back in the game. But again, you know, uh, deep in conference play. I think the great thing in, in this game, again, the Jaime Hawkeye show continued to roll on. It rolled on in, in Salt Lake. It rolled on in Boulder. But I think the other really great thing in this entire trip is that Tiger Campbell has come back to life. Uh, and, he, and he has come back with a vengeance. Uh, 18 in this game probably ended up being you know, the difference. You know, down the stretch in both these games, and we'll talk about Colorado, but it, it, was, it was the Tiger and, and Jaime show uh, down the stretch with both of them kind of trading off and finding buckets. The other really good thing in the Utah game, we've talked about this before, uh, but the X factor of our team, I think, at this point, is Dylan Andrews. 10 minutes, but hit four shots. He got uh, that scored, 10 points. Got got those 10 points, and he's looking confident right now. He, he finally looks like he's confident to where he is comfortable finding his own shot or creating creating for someone else. Um, and and I think, look, again, we, we talked about how beggars can't be choosers with their bench. Mick is only going to do so much. But Dylan Andrews, I think, has earned his time now, and he's earned his confidence as well to where – no matter what he needs to be, no matter what game it is, he needs to be a part of like a ten to fifteen minute rotation uh, in there now. Yeah, I, I think Utah was an interesting game also because we we had moments to that you pointed out where we were up by big uh, margins. We were up sixteen at one point. It looked like we were heading towards blowout territory, and I think that was a point where it felt like we just tried to coast a little bit. We get let up on defense a little too much. Uh, and that's when Utah went on their run. And I, it also felt like our team was just feeling a little too comfortable with two of Utah's uh, starters out as well. Their backcourt was essentially all backups in this mm -hmm. game. And so I don't know if it was a lack of scouting on these guys or they just felt, you know, like they didn't uh, respect them enough. I, I don't know what it is, whatever you want to call it. We just took the foot off the pedal there, and luckily the shots were going in, and, you know, Tiger, Jaime, Dylan, uh, were all able to score effectively. I think what what we didn't talk about from this game was that first half where Adembona was literally feasting on them. I mean, he was looking like he was about to go off. And, of course, foul trouble kind of got in the way and uh, is, has become a theme for his career at UCLA, sadly. But he he was looking like a man 
amongst boys there for a, a good part of that first half. And look, if we can get him going to that level without him fouling out, then we will be unstoppable. I just, I don't know what he can do further to actually stop fouling. He gets called on so many ticky-tacky things that I don't see other guys getting called on. And I, 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 if I were him, I would be insanely frustrated at this point. Yeah, so we talked earlier in the year about how Adem Bona was showing flashes and he was having some games, maybe against the lesser competition, where he was doing well and then others where he wasn't being good. I think that's all gone. He, he's, he's a consistent player now when he's on the floor. When he's on the floor, the energy's there. He, he protects the rim. He gets rebounds. And he's able to score when he's one-on-one right now. Uh, he went three for five against Utah uh, and their bigs. So when he's on the floor at this point, like he is a good player. He is a net, very positive player. He just isn't on the floor enough. He was 17 minutes in this game. In Colorado, he ended up fouling out, I think, right? Uh, in that one, or did he not foul out in the end? Uh, he, he didn't foul out in the he end. Didn't he didn't foul out, yeah. Yeah, so he got he got 28 minutes in the Colorado game somehow. But look, I think some of some of this is just what we all know what it is, right? And it's our ref, wonderful referees in this conference, which is the Pac-12. And I don't think it's a, a coincidence that when we played at Maryland, a Dembona had a great game because we're going with officials outside of our league. So that's, I think, something to watch when we do get into postseason play. Like, how does this work with other officials? Because I think there are some touch fouls and such that are called in the Pac-12 that probably aren't going to get called elsewhere. With that said, I think I, there's a couple of just rookie moves he still pulls that I think he, he can cut out. One is just pump fakes. I think the book is out on him where, you know, you pump fake a couple times and get him impatient. He wants that big block. His eyes are going to light up. He's going to jump straight up in the air, and then you can get a foul on him. So I think that's that's one that you know he's some, I, someone's got to get in his head and just get him to be a little bit more patient with that. The other one is on the hedging, um, and it's the same thing on the hedging. He's so excited to go out and hedge and cause havoc and push the def- push the the opposing player so far back up the court that sometimes he he overplays his hand and he he gets contact. So those are two areas that. I think it's it's a sheer inexperience that at this point needs to start to get cleaned up because we're heading into the the business end and those are two areas I think where the the cheap fouls we can cut those out. Yeah, we we and this coaching staff really needs to figure out how to keep him on the floor more and the drop off is big, isn't it? It, it feels huge. <laughs> the drop-off is big. Uh, I, I Obviously, Kenny Nuba is who he is, and we've talked ad nauseum about this at this point. He's also playing a little hobbled right now, so that doesn't help. I will say I think we've seen a little bit more of Mac Etienne in games, and while he is clearly still getting his legs under himself here, he, and you know defensively he's not as, as mobile yet or knows all of the, his assignments yet, his rebounding is a, is a big plus. I mean, he can go get some big boy rebounds because he is big and he is strong. And he's shown a little bit of scoring around the rim here and there. Like, he, he's, he's serviceable. And I think what was a little telling, and I think we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit here now, talking about Colorado. Uh, Mick Cronin had Mac Etienne in there in the last, like, four minutes of that game. 
Which indicates to me that there is some degree of trust that Mick has in this kid at this point of the season. Uh, I don't think that was out of necessity necessarily in those situations. It felt like he was playing him there because he knows Mac is a guy who position, positions himself well for rebounds. He's big and strong, and he can get the ball when, when we need him to. And I think there is value in that, and that role is kind of being carved out for him right now late in the season. But to your point, the drop-off is there when Bona is out, uh, and some there there are points of games where I think if Bona is in foul trouble and Nuba's not playing super well, um, and Mac is obviously we're not playing him too many minutes. It's smarter to go small ball in, in those situations in in some games, and and we've seen that. So something to look out for, I think, uh, as this uh, season progresses with the conference tourney coming up soon and. Arizona schools coming to town this week. We'll we'll get to that later. Colorado yeah. was a different story, though. Very different story. Um, Colorado, we can throw a pee in the ocean once again, um, and we've seen enough of those kind of games for UCLA to where just I think you just have to expect that this team has some of these games in them. Um, but when we when we do have those kind of games, what is our identity and what's our calling card? It's defense, it's deflections, it's turnovers. And this was the game where we, we hung our hat on that end. Colorado, I, I think this is where the percentages, I think, actually are even do them a little li- little too good here. 33% uh, and 31% from three for, for Colorado shooting. I, I, I think there were portions of that game where it just felt like they couldn't get a shot outside of O'Brien just throwing up some prayers and them going in. Um, the uh, the big concern I think once again and out of this whole trip once again out of Colorado was defensive rebounding, and to your point I think this was the game where Mick said okay I don't I don't care what happens whoever's in there you got to rebound it, it was kind of one of those kind of games and I think that's what Mac got Mac his time, and he went in there and he rebounded and that's why he got six minutes despite the fact that a Dembona was on the floor and and got you know twenty eight minutes out there. Um, that was a problem I thought we had solved. Uh, but against Stanford, it was a bit of an issue. And now these two games, it's an issue too. So if there's anything that you know kind of worries me that it's coming back around, it's, it's, it's that rebounding. Because it felt like we had a solution for that with Bona and Jaime and Jalen and, and, and even Bailey jumping in there and getting some rebounds. Um, but these two games, I think that was definitely a concern. I will say in this game, I think what limited Jalen a little bit from rebounding was he his foul trouble for large parts of the game. He actually fouled out in this game. So, the referees were terrible in this game. Absolutely terrible uh, in, in this game. It, they were awful. Yeah. I mean, things like this is why I can't, I can't wait to be done with this league in, in some <laughs> respects. Um, so I, I won't hold a, a guy like Jalen Clark too accountable in the, in the one game like that because he's generally a good rebounder. Uh, Tiger Campbell actually rebounded the ball pretty well from his position. I think he, he grabbed six rebounds. So it is always kind of a team effort, especially with guys in, in foul trouble like Bona or Jalen in this instance. But it is something to look out for going forward. Like, uh, is this just a old habit rearing its ugly head really or is this just kind of a a blip on the radar here 
uh, nothing to worry about. I guess we'll we'll see this week. But this game was, I think, insanely stressful, and <laughs> for me at least, watching it because you knew these guys wanted to clinch the conference here so badly. Uh, especially after seeing Arizona go down on that miracle ASU shot, which was wild, by the way. Um, Super wild. You you knew these guys had that in the back of their minds, like, let's just end this now. Let's take the pressure off of us going into the, the week against the Arizona schools. Um, not to say there's not a lot to play for still. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But you, you could see the will to win here and this was not a game that they should have won by any stretch no they played like absolute garbage for for large large parts of this game on offense especially but the defense again kept them in the game when they needed to close any gaps they just they they locked down uh and it was it was a thing of beauty to see because we're at end of march or end of february going into march this is the type of mentality that you need to succeed in the the tournament. Like we need to be locked in. We can't have guys, you know, tighten up too much on defense. We when the ball isn't going in, we can't have guys, you know, kind of giving up when the things aren't going right. And this team, you can criticize, you know, shot making, shot taking, offensive movement, whatever you want. Regardless of all that, one thing you can never criticize this team for is like they have zero give up in them. They will never give up in a game. And I I think that has manifested itself throughout the season in really tough games. Even the Arizona game where we were losing by double digits for part of that second half, that final minute or two, we made that insanely interesting to where we were within a, a possession, essentially, with a minute left. Uh, so, you know, th- this team doesn't give up. It was great to see that on the road in Colorado. Again, against a, a, a tough team. I know Colorado hasn't played super well all season, but Tad Boyle is a good coach. He has his guys prepared well. When you're the number four team in the country at the top of your conference, you're going to get everyone's best shot. We've talked about this. The crowd was into it. It was a hostile environment. And we did not give up at any point in that game. We just kept sticking to the game plan. The defense you know, kicked in when it needed to, and they were able to pull that out of the hat. Uh, Jaime Hawkes, again, should always get a ton of credit. I can't talk enough about the kid. Like, he is going nuclear every single game at this point, and that's exactly what we need for offense. Um, and he's rebounding the ball. He's passing the ball. He, he's he's doing everything. Um, it's very clear what our, what our identity is the last, you know, in, in crunch time right now, and that is we are going to play through Jaime and Tiger. And I think what's interesting now is we're not doing it maybe in the way that we were in the beginning of the year. Um, with just you know, two man game and, and everyone else standing around, um, guys know where they are and Jaime and Tiger most especially especially they know where those guys are to where if they need to make a play and make a pass, they can do it now. Whereas maybe earlier in the year we didn't have the trust in all those guys to do it, and 
But again, the ball is going to be going through Tiger and Jaime. They're going to touch the ball and decide what they want to do first. And more often than not, you know, the kind of shots that they are good at hitting are ones that are usually the type you are going to get in late-game situations. You know, usually in late-game situations that you're not going to just drive the rim or shoot a wide-open three. Um, and and those, that kind of sh- those kind of mid-range, one-on-one type of opportunities is what those two excel at. So that's clearly the identity, and it, it, it they, they took us home in this game. They took us home in the game against Utah. Um, this is a, a battle-tested team. Uh, you know, we, we've had games where we've had blowouts, and we've had games that are tight where we've had to kind of dig in and, and dig deep. And unlike last year, I'd say this year, um, post-Vegas at least, you know, post I, I consider Vegas like a thing of the past right now. Um, Post-Vegas, our, our, our record is pretty good this year in those kind of games. So that's, that part is encouraging to see. If, if I'm going to now go on a little bit of a sour note, at the same time, this is exactly why, you know, I think there are still Bruin fans out there that are that are a little skeptical, right? I mean, this is the kind of game that we have seen from this team where, you know, you, you just can't make any, we can't make a single three, we can't make a shot. We've seen that a few times this year. And that combined with a bad rebounding effort is the kind of thing that can get you beat early in the tournament. So that's, all, that, that's the other side of the coin here, which is, you know, just... It, 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 it puts you in a dilemma, you know, to, to on, on exactly how to think about this. Because obviously, you know, we're 25-4. and four, No game can be taken for granted. Um, but you can see both sides of this. We're, we're battle-tested. We know how to win games close. And yet there is also just the sliver opening where it feels like, oh, it could could that bite us in the future? No, I don't know. If I could predict the future, I'd be a billionaire at this point. So <laughs> yep, I, I, I don't know what will happen. I will say that this team will always just be fun to watch. I think over the last several years, most of these players have become dear and dear to all UCLA fans' hearts. So we obviously want them to win very, very badly. Um, and yeah, I, I look, I, I, I think that's a valid criticism at the end of the day. But I just, the way this team plays for each other and the way they play and compete and the effort level that they put into these games, I, I'm not as concerned with that as I would be for other teams. And even the same team, like if you had some of these guys two years ago, and you'd, we'd be in this situation and we're talking about that, I, I, don't, I don't think I'd feel as confident, but these guys have been there. They have the experience to overcome some of those slumps. Uh, overcome, you know, when the when the things aren't going right for them, whether it's foul trouble or rebounding, whatever. And I think they they have enough firepower. They have enough basketball IQ. They have the coaching uh, and the the right mentality to really figure it out in those situations. So I, I'm not as worried about that. Let's see what happens this week now. But before I get into that, can we just talk about Dembona's dunk? Or not dunk, block that led to dunk? Because that was an absolute thing of beauty. Like, I want a, I want a painting of that hung up in the Louvre. Again, like, that, this is exactly what we're talking about. When Dembona's on the floor now, like, he, Colorado did not 
if he was near the rim, they were actively trying to get him away from the rim so then they could go and drive um, and, and, and finish. If Otherwise, they were shooting a lot of threes in this game because Adem Bona's presence right now, people have seen the highlight reels, right? They, they've seen what, what he can do. So him being on the floor impacts us in so many ways, which is why, look, I don't think we can depend on the fact that he's going to just be available and not get in foul trouble. We have to be prepared, and I think we've played so much this year with him in foul trouble that that we are probably prepared for that moment. But if there's any way to cut these, these little fouls out of his game and get him on the floor a bit more consistently, that's when this thing goes to another level. Um, and, and, and we've been saying that the whole year, right? The two, our two freshmen, the Dembona and, and, and Amari Bailey. When the light bulb clicks for them and they're able to be on the floor consistently and have a positive impact, that's when I, like, any doubt that's in my mind about early round exits and stuff like that just completely get out. I, I, it's, it's literally not possible if those, those things start to happen. It is, yeah, I don't know what, what we need to do, but we need to do some sort of voodoo magic to figure that the foul trouble out for, for a dem. Um, I don't know what KJ Simpson was thinking on that play. That was absolutely what's funny is that, boneheaded. what's funny is that, um, I'll say this, I think it's a little unfair characterization by Mick in terms, like, I don't think KJ Simpson was driving at a dem bona, but a dem bona, this is how he gets so many of his blocks. He's behind the ball, but he's so quick to get out there, and his arms are long, right? He may he himself may not be very tall, but his arms are so long. And by the time KJ gets a step on his defender, Adem's still on the big man. Adem Bona can just recover, and he's standing right there. And then next thing you know, it's a highlight reel, and it's uh, it's a thing that's on Sports Center. So this again, it's why there's driving at Adem Bona. That part doesn't work. But when he his his recoveries and 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 his ability to deflect shots from from the from weak sides, that's I think what really sets him apart. Deflect shots on weak side in, in the paint, but also even trying to deflect shots and and generating steals on the perimeter when a big man has the ball. He's done that several times now too. It's been impressive to see uh, from a from a big guy like him, uh, but. Yeah, I think that the point is we need to keep a Bona on the floor by any means necessary at this point. I don't know what, what we can do to keep him from fouling or keep him from getting called on any stupid ticky-tacky fouls, but something needs to give, um, especially now now that we're, we're going into March. But uh, These two games this week will be a huge test for him because we're, we're about to play – I mean – Obviously, the game on Saturday is going to be against the two best bigs, not only well, in, let's in not, the Well, let's not jump ahead there yet. Let's not jump ahead there yet. We still have Arizona State on Thursday. They got a good big, too. They do have a good big. And they gave us fits last time we played. Those The Cambridge brothers lit us up. Arizona State is coming in as a desperate team. Um, they th- Their style is just so unique. They run up and down. They have complete green light to shoot whatever they want and they got some ballers so you know every so often those shots go in when when guys like dj horn and um, the cambridge brothers you know when they start throwing shots up 
they they have ability to hit tough shots, and when they when they go in, it's it's a thing of beauty. And Arizona State looks like a very good team, not just a a bubble team, but a very good solid tournament team, um, like right in the middle of the bracket. But they also because they play that exact style, are susceptible to terrible games, and that's exactly what what we've seen from them um, this year. And I I from what I've seen of of many other teams and such this year they look like a tournament team to me i mean their their resume right now michigan getting better i think is going to help them if michigan can somehow sneak into the tournament that's a good non-conference win and then the win over arizona is kind of their like resume builder but they're still right now completely at the end of the bubble and a win over ucla is going to knock them over the park so they're going to come in completely desperate and they're going to play with nothing to lose. They're coming to Poly with, with what's likely going to be a big crowd. And you know what? They're, they're just going to let it fly. And UCLA is going to better be ready for this game because any kind of effort, like defensive effort, like Utah, and I think we're, we, we could be looking at an L in this one because I, I do think Arizona State, on their good day, is a very good team. So I think there's, there's, there's two factors at play here. I know you can sit here and say, okay, we've already wrapped up the conference, these games are meaningless, blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't think that's true. I think there's still a lot to play for here in terms of seeding. So beating, getting another Q1 win, beating Arizona State at home, I think is still very important. And then obviously Saturday against Arizona. The other thing is we have the longest win streak, home win streak in the nation right now. And I think that's something worth protecting. It's definitely like, worth protecting. I don't think that's something we should just throw away just because we've tied up the conference. I think these guys know that. I think uh, Mick knows that. I think the team knows that. I think they're they're too proud to just roll over just because they've won the conference. So I think these factors uh, will impact how they've approached these games in a positive way, not necessarily a negative way. Uh, that being said, it is nice to not have the added pressure of oh shit, we still need to win this game for the conference. I think they, removing that from the, the team's mentality is, is actually a, also a positive thing. I think we can play a little looser. Like There's less chance of us stiffening up in these, these games because we need to win them to win the conference. It's great, we've already wrapped up the conference, we need to win these for other reasons, but there's not that additional factor um, at hand here. But yeah, Arizona State plays aggressive basketball, and I think their their defense also has been largely pretty solid all season. Uh, they harass you, they try to to pressure you a lot, and and try to get you to turn the ball over. That being said, we don't turn the ball over very much. We have that advantage, um, and we're going to be at home, and so it, this will be a tougher game than I think people are giving credit to it. But absolutely. It is. Uh, it it will be an interesting one to watch, and and I'm curious to see how we we approach it. I think we'll we'll approach it in a professional manner, in the sense that we will not just overlook Arizona State. It also has the makings of kind of a trap game with Arizona coming in on Saturday. We obviously, you know, know what that game means. Um, so there are some other things here that could lead us to to overlook this a little bit, but I, I think we'll come in prepared. I think we're just going to need to stay focused and make sure that 
you know, the Desmond brothers, DJ Horn, some of these guys that do not get hot from the three-point line because they absolutely can. We saw it, saw that happen in Tempe against us. Um, and also, I, I'm interested to see, again, Adam Bona play Washington, their big, their big seven-foot guy, and see how he fares against him this time. He was, again, in foul trouble against him the first game. Um, and I think Washington also is prone to getting in foul trouble. So let's see how that, that matchup plays out. But I, um, I think we'll, we'll approach this in a positive manner. Yeah, so in the first game against Arizona State, if we remember, Dylan Andrews, that was kind of his first game where the light started to slowly go on. He hit, I think, three big shots in that game, scored seven points, all when we were down. And then we got teed uh, up. And then we got teed up, and, and we, usually when a player gets teed up, mix all over them, but this time he wasn't over all over him. That was, I, I think, kind of the start of getting Dylan Andrews into the circle of trust there. In these final two games, I think I think we we got to treat this this weekend kind of like a like a mini tournament, right? It's it's basically like a, a tournament weekend. Play your your full rotation of what you plan to play down the stretch here, and that means certain guys get their minutes no matter what. Dylan Andrews needs to get his minutes. Um, I don't know why he only got five minutes, for example, against Colorado. He didn't turn the ball over. Um, I mean, he didn't look like a net negative on defense either. He, he needs to get his minutes here. And then otherwise, I think it's all about building good habits from here on to the end of the season. So for guys like Adembona, cut out the foul trouble. Uh, for guys like Amari Bailey, get more consistent uh, on, on offense. Play, get, get, get the ball, play make. Um, and then for our stars, it's, you know what? Keep doing what keep, you're doing. Keep, keep, keep doing you. you. You do you, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, I think that's the right approach. Um, but we also have a very emotional game coming up on Saturday. It's senior night. And, and that's where I'm, I'm curious to see what the leadership of this team looks like for this weekend. Because, look, up until now, I think we've kind of sleptwalked through this past month, and I totally get it. Because, like, it was the dog days of conference play, and it's, it's hard to wake up for every single game. And we've done what we needed to do, and we've won these games, and we've gotten to this point, and we've won the league. So that's all done now. But for these upperclassmen, this is their last two games now in poly. And are they going to, you know, essentially demand that we get everything right, knowing what's on, that it's their last two games in poly, but again, what's on the line, right? This, we, there's a whole lot to play for right now with seeding. Well, let's let's get into seating after we talk about these games. But I, I think Saturday's game, you this could have been a, somehow an even bigger game with the conference on the line, and I'm glad it isn't on the line here. But I think the the emotion of a rivalry game. Obviously, we don't like Arizona. I have no qualms about saying that. Fuck that school. Um, could not care less about them. There's, there's, there's a lot of hatred between the, these teams, these programs at this point. I think you, you've been hearing all this buzz probably around, also Kevin around, you know, stuff that happened behind the scenes in Tucson with the teams that, uh, are pro and programs and whatnot that, you know, led to some bitterness, you know, Obviously, last season there was all sorts of uh, crazy stuff happening. Like the the these teams have history. We don't like each other. You have that that part of it coming in, 
uh, to Polly. Then you have Senior Night with, you know, two or three uh, arguably most important seniors in UCLA basketball history for the last decade, easily. I can't think of any other players as important as Jaime Jaquez or Tiger Campbell to UCLA right now. Um, and so you have that emotion of the last game these guys are most likely going to play in Poly Pavilion. I know Tiger could come back. Um, Jaime is not coming back. Uh, I will probably be bawling like a, a child in the stands, I will admit this. Um, you have that thrown in there. And then you have, to your point, Kevin, the seeding aspect of it. I think if we win this game, assuming we don't lose to ASU, but if we win this game, we have a very legitimate stake to a number one seed in the tournament. I'll, so, I'll take it a step further. Um, I think if we win two games this week, there's a great chance in most projections that we are going to be on the one line going into conference tournament play. Um, yeah. The, the, a, a very good chance. Because right now, the only thing that's missing... And the only reason we're not on that line is because we don't have a, a win against a team of the like of Arizona. And and we can talk until we're blue in the face about, you know, is Arizona truly elite or not or what they have. Their, their record is what the, what the record is. Their ranking is what their ranking is. And we don't have a win against that kind of a team right now. And so if we were to win that game this weekend and beat Arizona State, win these two games against two quality teams, at that point there is nothing to debate. Um, because the rest of our resume slowly started to shape up pretty good. Um, I don't want to jinx this by saying this right now, but Maryland is second in the Big Ten. And now the problem is they're 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 absolutely elite at home. They're sixteen and one at home this year. Take a take a wild guess what the one is. <laughs> I don't need to and guess. I watched that don't game. Need to, you're, yeah, right. <laughs> and but they're just not very good away and they're they're finishing their season with two away games at Ohio State and Penn State who are, who are bottom of the league in the Big Ten so let's see what they can do there if they can win some games but you know Maryland second in the league Kentucky is third in the league I believe now in the SEC um, they're they third just or got fourth. ranked they, they just got ranked so all we need now is just that one marquee win and at that point we have a number one seed kind of resume so all that to say, you know what, senior night, it's it's the last game for a lot of these upperclassmen who have done so much for UCLA basketball. We haven't beaten Arizona this year. It's a rivalry game. And the fact that we have a one seed on the line. Um, along with the fact that, let's not forget this fact, too. All of Arizona's sins will be forgotten if they won, win that game on Saturday. They're probably still going to be in the driver's seat then for that West seed even on the two line, if they beat us on Saturday. Because just the way that this idiotic committee works, right, they're not going to take the body of work over eight, 18, 20 games of a conference play. They're just going to look at two head-to-head -head games, and they're going to rank them above us. So there's a whole lot of the line uh, in this game. So let me ask you this question. You know, looking back at the first game, we actually did a pretty good job of limiting Azulas Tabellas and Omar Balo to, to some degree. Obviously, the offense went completely cold in that game. So what, what do we need to do this time to actually win? 
I think it'd be easy to say that we need to shoot a little better than last time, right? <laughs> um, that, 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 you, that, you that, that, that part's a little easy, but here's the thing. Basketball is a game of matchups. I don't know if Arizona is an elite team. I don't think they're a great matchup for us uh, because what hurts us, again, is length. What does Arizona possess a lot of? They possess length. Guys like Tabellus and even Pella Larson, Ballo at the rim, um, even Henderson, their guard, um, he, he's 6'6 he's six, six with some long arms. So they've got a lot of length, and I think that affected a lot of shots for us because, we're, again, we're not the tallest team around. Um, now, this time we're at home. Um, I do think we got good looks last game that if we can recreate them, hopefully at home, we can put them in. But if the rebounding effort of this past weekend shows up in this game, then I think we're up against it. Uh, because, again, Arizona is an elite rebounding team. In Tucson, we did really well. Uh, we out-rebounded them, I think, by – I'm looking, looking at it right now, plus seven margin. So we out-rebounded them. We, the Cronin math was heavily in our favor. I think we need that kind of a performance once again, and then we see where the chips fall. Um, you know, th- there there is a a world where you know we do all that that stuff, and and yet again their length bothers us. But because we're at home, hopefully we can pull it out. But you know, th- the length is a problem. We better have our rebounding boots on. We better take care of the ball, and then play our game. Um, I think we do those three things, we'll be all right. We we got to play our game. And see if they're good enough to good enough to beat us at that game. Here's what I don't want to see is a lot of help on Ballo, leaving guys like Courtney Ramey open from three, because he's been shooting it very well from distance, and that can vary us. I also would love to see just pressuring Kirk Risa. And I wonder we if we're going to see more of that press uh, earlier in the game and, and more parts of this game. Because in Tucson, we didn't press at all. Until, until the, the last couple minutes. And the that press almost turned the game at the very last second. And I wish we had seen a little bit more of that. And yeah, I would love to see a little bit more pressure, especially on Creasa. I, I think the what that showed me is that we, we can... If we press hard enough, they are susceptible to turning the ball over. And especially on the road, um, I think we can generate more turnovers there. But, yeah, I think the game we played in Tucson was not a bad game. I think the game plan there was sound. It's just the execution on offense. Not even execution on offense because we executed offense and got good looks. We just couldn't shoot the ball. Uh, I think what else has changed by this point of this season is that Jaime Jaquez is is playing at a much higher level than he was back then in early or late January. Like he, he is going into tournament mode and into becoming a scoring machine. Uh, and so I think that also turns the tide a little bit in our favor. Uh, I think it's not just, you know, Jaime driving it and, you know, pulling some moves and, and, you know, with some nifty footwork and shooting the ball anymore. It's he's shooting threes. He's handling the ball. Like he's doing a lot more in the offense and playing at a a much higher level that I think changes the complexion of our offense a little bit that I, I think Arizona didn't see in that first game. 
he's going to be key. Tiger also had a rough game that first game. And against Kirk Risa, if that's going to be the matchup, um, we, we got to win that matchup. The other trump card in this game that we didn't have in the first, in the first matchup is Amari Bailey. He didn't play the first time. Good point. Now, you know, he's going to play this time. We didn't have a guy to press up on Courtney Ramey, and, you know, there were some transition looks that he got, and I thought that's what kind of sparked them in that game, where they were stagnant, they hit a couple threes, and then from there they kind of got out. Amari Bailey's got to show up in this game, too, because, you know, again, if we, the main goal here is let's get ready for the stretch run and get ready for the tournament. Amari Bailey has had some really good games since he's come back from injury, and he's had some games where he's been a bit up and down. Um, I think for us to reach our potential, if we take for given that you know one of Jaime or Tiger is going to show up in the in a in a game and they're going to you know, be be their their best version of themselves, we need one of Jalen Clark or Amari Bailey to step up and be the best version of themselves in that game to then carry us forward in these kind of in these kind of matchups. And you know, Mari Bailey is, I think, someone who can pressure on defense, get that press up there in their face a bit more, and pressure the ball. But on offense, that that mid-range jumper of his, like, if it's working, then the whole offense seems to open up really well. Because his finishing at the rim is body control. It's elite body control now. But his ability to score um, on on offense, if we get that. Like, the, 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 the way this team is built it's we don't need a whole lot of guys we just need somebody step up with one of our stars and then we're golden and that that's the trump card we didn't have the first time yeah uh, Amari Bailey gets that mid-range look more often than not like he can generate that shot it's just a matter of consistently hitting it and they're often open he just doesn't always bury it and I think if he can consistently keep shooting that ball well, we will be in a, in good shape here. Um, it's it's going to be a big game. I mean, it's it's a sold out crowd. Hopefully, it is going to be loud in there. Hopefully, the the crowd is into it. Um, it's nationally televised on ESPN. It's it's going to be a good game. I, I think we we absolutely it is a, a as crucial of a game as you possibly can can have at this point of the season regardless of conference uh standings it's it's a massive game for ucla's i think reputation in general um like because at that point it would be deserved any criticism we got at that point would be would be deserved after the fact a big key in this game again is going to be you know like i think like you said uh canada matchup on Omar Balo. Now, we talked about this. To plan for a Dembona not to get in foul trouble in this game, I think, would be silly. He's probably going to get into foul trouble. Um, but, as a challenge to him, can he cut out any of those mistakes? I mean, can he cut out any, any cheap fouls to where if you're going to get in foul trouble, it's because you you had to make a play and just, just, just weren't, weren't able to, to fully do it. We need to see the cheap fouls start to get out because... Him him staying this game for a long period, I think, really tilts this in UCLA's favor. The other thing is, with the backup bigs, ever since we played Arizona, we, we got good at this. Fronting bigs, pushing them away to where they're not catching the ball so near to the basket. Arizona, the way that they play is is not usually just traditional posting up, but Umar Balo can do that. 
And so if they're trying to throw him the ball, it can't be right next to the basket. You can't overhelp against Arizona either because they're so good at finding cutters and passing and, 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 and lobs and, and, and things like that. So assignment defense, which we did well in Tucson, um, but obviously, you know, both teams have, have, have probably gotten better since then. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of emotion in this game that I think hopefully can that our team can also utilize to their advantage. It's again we've talked about it at length at this point, but can you use that to fuel yourself to win a big game here at this juncture of the season and? not get rattled by it and I don't think these guys are are the type to get rattled by it but you know I I think that's that's going to be at the back of some of these kids minds like you know Jaime Hawkins has given his all uh he's been saying for years that you know his goal is to hang that banner number 12 up in Pauly and and you know the last time being playing in that stadium has has got to weigh on you a little bit so we we can't. We got to be able to use that emotion, not uh, you, not let it hamper us. And I, yeah, that's I, a I great point. That's a great point. I mean, there's a whole lot of ways where the moment in this game, hopefully, you know, we're, we're it's not going to be the biggest game we play this year. Any tournament game is going to be bigger than this. But, but definitely, you know, the emotion of this game, that those first five to ten minutes are probably going to be tough. Uh, if we can weather those first five to ten minutes, then then I think we we, we, we got a good shot here. But those first five to ten minutes, got got to make sure that we don't let emotions play with us. We we let help let emotions help us. And uh, yeah, that'll be a lot of the game. It will be a fun one. Uh, I I can't wait till the, this week is over. Um, even though I, we do have a game on Thursday, I'm not going to overlook that. Uh, but you know, I think Saturday is the 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 big one that we're all kind of looking ahead to. And hopefully, the team is not doing the same. If you guys are listening to this, don't do the same thing. They're not listening to this. We're good. <laughs> um, so here's the interesting thing now for seeding. Um, obviously, the team that is likely to drop out on the one line is Purdue, and that's if we are able to take care of business. Um, that's probably the one that we can overtake. Now, the interesting thing here is, you know, we got to take care of our business. we got to win both these games. Kansas right now is making a big case for the number one overall seed. Why is that important? Because then the seeds start to look something like Kansas number one, and then in some order, Bama or Houston. And if the order is Bama and then Houston, there's a chance that if that going to the one line actually puts us in the east. So that's another other kind of subplot that's it's, uh, interesting to watch uh, over these next couple of weeks. Obviously, not all of it's moot without winning two games. Um, and, and, and if we don't win two games, then we're probably two in the east uh, at that point, too. But uh, other kind of interesting subplots to watch. Houston's an interesting one. Uh, you know, I feel like UCLA gets dinged for playing in the Pac-12 for having a weak conference, but the AAC is not very good this year itself. Um, so you could potentially levy a similar criticism of, of Houston. Um, yeah, once again, we just we, we got to 
beat Arizona because Houston's claim to fame right now is they got wins over St. Mary's and Virginia. And, and Virginia's they, faltered, let's be honest. So so if we went and beat Arizona, then I think we got a good case here, right? Yeah, um, yep. If we, if we went and beat Arizona, then we got a case here. Um, but we got to, again, we got to win our two games this week, and, and all this stuff will probably take care of itself. But, uh, yeah, that'll, that's very interesting to see how, how the committee deals with those kind of things. Right, and, and Purdue... I don't even know how they're still out of one line, and I don't, I don't know. Can we talk about? And I know we're going to this league in two years, but yet again, the Big Ten's about to get nine teams into the tournament. I'm just, I'm looking at this list right here. I, I, I don't see any more than like one or two of them moving past the first weekend, and that this has been a theme for the Big Ten for the last two years, where you know they got a, get a lot of hype and. Get a lot of teams in, but it, I, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't see it. Just looking at this list right here of, of who who we're talking about between, I mean, we saw us play Maryland, right? We've seen Michigan in non-conference play, um, Northwestern, Iowa, Indiana, you know, Illinois, Michigan State, Rutgers, ain't a lot of elite teams there to where, you know, why is it the Big Ten gets nine teams and I don't think the Pac-12 is great here, but I'm not sure it's all that much worse than this. I don't think it's all that much worse than this. I just think the uh, Big Ten actually gets watched a little more than we probably do, or the Pac-12 probably does. And this is why we're going, aren't we? Yeah, okay. I think think that speaks for itself. Um, Like... It is what it is. Like, you can talk about East Coast bias, blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, I'm sure there is some aspect of that. But at the end of the day, it's also accessibility, right? So, yes, some people might not stay up to watch the games. But also, even if they stay up to watch the game, they might not be able to watch Pac-12 games because you can't actually watch the damn games uh, because of Pac-12 Network. So there's there's other issues there. But, yeah, I I think it's a, a... matter of people have seen these teams a little more than Pac-12 teams. I think there's, um, you know, some of the basketball brands obviously are a little bigger. You have, you know, Indiana, they're obviously Michigan uh, versus, you know, Washington State, who I think was actually a good team this year, or even Arizona State right now is peaking. They don't have the same kind of basketball brand as, as some of these other schools do. So there's there's a lot of factors here at play. Um, but, yeah, I, I think everybody who keeps saying, like, oh, UCLA is going to regret going to the Big Ten because they're going to get punished in basketball by a harder conference, I disagree with. I, I don't think that there's anybody right now in the Big Ten, minus maybe Purdue, that is, you know, actually looking elite to any sort of degree. Um, I think Michigan yeah, I mean State's it'll even itself back. out, right? I mean, yeah. I don't think we're going to see any eighteen and two conference champions in the Big Ten. Purdue is on the one line right now; they're thirteen and five in conference, still have to clinch their clinch the league. Um, so you're not going to see like runaway conference champs in the Big Ten. Um, but it, it, it all kind of evens out, you know. Can can UCLA compete with these teams? The Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, you saw what UCLA did against the second place Big Ten team right now. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's that's two years away, but definitely I think UCLA can be competitive. The, the viewership is definitely something. I mean, I it's it's just atrocious that College Game Day is not coming to Westwood this week, and they're going to the Duke Carolina game. My God, I yeah, and it's... and and we know why, right? Like I, from a business standpoint, I guess for, on, on some level, you you get it because that's like the game that draws eyeballs. I don't know. I UCLA Arizona usually draws eyeballs too, but. Um, yeah, like, stuff like that is where the Big Ten is really going to help us. Like, there, there's just no question about that. Look, that's a classic rivalry, right? I get it. Both teams, though, aren't very good this year. Like, they're both on the bubble. I don't know if either team is going to make it. Like, there's not a whole... It's, it, it's a... It feels like a, a lot more of an inconsequential game this season than generally that game represents. So, fine, ESPN, do what you want to do with that. I, I think it's a boneheaded, stupid move uh, on their part. But, you know, it is what it is. They uh, they will go ahead with that, but awesome. Um, yeah, to your point, I think that our branding with the, the Big Ten exposure will do its wonders in that aspect. Do we want to talk a little football here quickly before we move on? Sure. Uh, I think everyone probably knows the news by now, but we actually have a new defensive coordinator after many, many weeks of speculation around how this is going to shake out. Uh, we went... Pretty out of the box, I would say, with this one, and hiring Danton Lynn uh, for the Chargers fans like Kevin out there. Anthony Lynn's son. I did not realize that until much later. Um, yeah. Um, he, he comes from Baltimore, from Baltimore Ravens. Uh, their safeties coach, and I actually am a Baltimore Ravens fan. I think he has been generally liked there has been generally a good coach uh he's done a pretty fantastic job with the safeties overall uh you can look at kyle hamilton uh the ravens first round pick last season's development over the last season um and you you saw noticeable improvement in his play uh i think when you pick a guy from a very defensive minded organization like the ravens you you have to like that to some degree. I mean, if you're going to get somebody from the NFL like that, that's the place to get them from. Uh, and it's worked out several times. Uh, I think, Kevin, you as a secondary Michigan fan would know they've picked up a couple of coordinators from uh, Baltimore in the last few years that have worked out pretty well for them. Yeah, and this is what that, that's obviously my, my biggest reference point to this. If you're going to get coaches from from the from the NFL, uh, the Ravens seem to be the place to do it, and it's for a couple of reasons. Um, just that defense seems to be so versatile and multiple in their looks. And you think about the league that we're going to, right, um, and the teams we're going to play. Uh, we're going to play the likes of like high high powered offenses like Ohio State and USC. We are going to have to play smash mouth teams like Michigan and then your typical Wisconsin, Iowa's and stuff like that. Um, we'll need to be very versatile to, to handle all that. And the Ravens scheme is definitely the one to do that. It's what 
it's why Michigan had the success they had um, because you know there was a period where where Michigan also had a scheme similar to UCLA under Jerry Osnaro, believe it or not, a very blitz-heavy, man-free scheme under Don Brown. Just Michigan had the talent to where they could keep up with everybody doing that and, and, and blitz them doing it, besides this team called Ohio State. And now why is that important for UCLA? Well, who is our crosstown rival? It's, it's this guy named um, Lincoln Riley and USC. And if we want to compete you know, against them, we need a defense that's going to be multiple, that's not predictable. We saw what the result of that was this year, right? Um, and so from that standpoint, and I mean, there have been Ravens coaches that have been very successful doing this and have made those teams very successful, Michigan being the prime example of that. Now, you as the Ravens fan are probably going to tell me, you know, that those coaches' backgrounds were a little different, the ones that went to Michigan, which is Mike McDonald, and then uh, right now, which is Jesse Mentor. I would. Uh, I think... Those guys had a little bit more experience. I think McDonald and Minter uh, both had some experience calling and scheming defenses. I think Lynn is a very young coach. He's only like 33, and he doesn't have that kind of experience yet under his belt. Not to say he can't do it or won't do it or won't be good at it. There's just no proven track record there to point to and say, hey, look at this guy. He built this defense from scratch and installed these schemes, blah, blah, blah. We can't, we can't, we don't have any evidence of it right now. So I, I think that is a risk. The other risk that I think we're taking here a little bit um, is obviously because he's never coached in college before. He's always been in the NFL so far. He doesn't have recruiting experience. He is young. I think he'll bring the energy. I think he, from what I have read about him, he's really well-liked and actually connected with a lot of our players um, within the Ravens organization. So he knows how to talk to people and, and engage with folks, and that's, that's a great sign for a recruiter. But we just we don't know how he will recruit. We just, again, have no track record of it. I don't know if he has any links in the West Coast or connections on the West Coast, minus his father was the head coach of the Chargers for a number of years. All of these are, are risks, I think, that we we are taking with this hire. That being said, I, I, I like the hire overall. I think it is an out-of-the-box hire. It's a little risky, but it's a move that I think we needed to make. I think getting someone like this who's hungry, young, ready to prove themselves on a bigger level uh, is exactly the type of guy that we wanted to get. I know it's not splashy. It's not, you know, some big name brand guy here. And we can go go into a little bit why we couldn't probably go that direction. But, but I think overall, this is a step in the right direction. It's not a Jerry Azanaro or a Bill McGovern old school coach defense anymore. And just for that alone, I think we can applaud this. Yeah, the only way to go is up, right? I mean, we, it, it, it can't get any worse than, than what it was. So at the very worst, we're going to be the exact same. And otherwise, I think there is upside to this in terms of, you know, the fact that he comes from a good pedigree with the Ravens and such. And he's a young guy. So, yes, he doesn't have a recruiting experience. But I think generally the expectation with young guys is that they'll come in, they'll have energy, and they'll be able to connect and recruit very well. And just the sheer fact that this is not a retread old guy like Bill McGovern or Jerry Asnaro, um, that is clearly just a buddy of a buddy or, or, or just an old friend of Chip's, 
the fact that this isn't one of those, I think on its own is a positive sign of the type of hire we were looking to make, that it was truly, we were truly trying to just get the best coordinator for UCLA. Uh, and after that, we have to see how it goes. Um, you know, if, if it doesn't work out, that's on chip because the signs are there that he's not experienced. And if it does work out, then that's a credit to him. And, and to some degree, it's it's low risk, right? And in, in the sense of when we move to the Big Ten in the in the next year after the next season, like we could potentially make a change at DC if we needed to. We're not paying the guy a ton of money, mostly because it sounds like uh, McGovern's salary is still being paid out to him. He is still going to be on the staff and kind of a, a more operational role from what I understand now. So he's still there uh, and we are still paying him. And so I think that hamstrung our, our budget here a little bit for a DC. I, I think for all the reasons we've already said, like this, this could be, this could be very good. And if it's not very good, then, you know, in a year or two, we can make a change when Azanaro or sorry, McGovern, Salary is off the books. He can move on. We'll have a little bit more money. We'll have the Big Ten money coming in. Hopefully our debt situation will be alleviated and at that point um, we'll be able to actually maybe hire that big name coach, DC, assuming Chip is still the coach at that point. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm in wait and see mode. I'm cautiously optimistic about this. Again, it's 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 nice to see the Ravens' uh, influence uh, coming coming back to my favorite college football team. So that's kind of cool to see. But yeah, I, I I'm cautiously cautiously can't speak cautiously optimistic about this and uh, looking forward to see what uh, Coach Lynn kind of puts together for us. We will see. We will see where it goes. With that, I think we've. Just about covered everything. I think we we have. I think we are going into um, this week. Again, check these games out. We're hoping for a sweep of the Arizona schools at home for our final homestand. Um, and for that number one seed, um, if you have been listening to this podcast, please share us, uh, retweet us. Uh, give us feedback. We're always looking for feedback, like what do you like, what you don't like, especially what you don't like, because we want to improve there. And uh, yeah, other than that, as always, go Bruins. Go Bruins.